everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Where do you get 100% open rate with your customers? And that's on the products that you ship them. Everybody's going to open that box from the speed and the experience and how they receive the package to maybe even the actual package to maybe what's inside the package is extremely important. What happens when your customer clicks order on your e-commerce site? Do your systems have rules that look at the customer location and choose the nearest warehouse to fulfill that order? Or are you relying on one fulfillment center and allowing days or weeks to pass by before it arrives at your customer's doorstep? The real world logistics behind each digital order can be a complex process. But if you could set up the proper system, what if you could then compete with the new industry standard of two-day shipping? Understanding this logistical side of e-commerce is vital for any store owner or executive team looking to master this world. Today, we're exploring the logistics side of e-commerce with an industry expert. Casey Armstrong is the Chief Marketing Officer at ShipBob, working hard to ensure that e-commerce shops are able to get products to their customers effectively and efficiently. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Casey takes us behind the scenes of what makes for a good third-party logistics partner, or 3PL. Plus, he explains when companies might want to start thinking about finding a 3PL partner and why Amazon, which is seen as the gold standard in fulfillment, might actually not be the best choice for your e-commerce shop. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder of mission.org. Today on the show, we have Casey Armstrong, the Chief Marketing Officer at ShipBob. Casey, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I am eager to have you on since we have not had anyone in your industry on yet, and I think there's a lot to learn. Perfect. So I want to hear, before we dive into ShipBob, a little bit about your background and how you got into your current role of CMO. Yeah, so um, thank you for the intro. Um, as you mentioned, Chief Marketing Officer over here at ShipBob, where at ShipBob we are an e-commerce fulfillment solution, you know, essentially bringing that Amazon level, you know, two-day, three-day shipping experience to direct-to-consumer brands. We can get more into the specifics of ShipBob later. I'm not here just to pitch that, but we do that through our distributed fulfillment network. We've got 10 facilities around the world. Um, and then before ShipBob, I actually, um, with the VP of marketing over at Big Commerce, one of the leading e-commerce platforms who also happened to go public and IPO last week. Oh, wow. So... Another huge congrats to the big commerce team over there. That was a huge accomplishment. Just very proud of what they've accomplished. And I know that they're just getting started. And then prior to that, 
I was uh, the SVP at a company called Watchmaster. Mm-hmm. We were a luxury watch e-commerce brand actually located over in Europe. Um, and so those are the last couple roles for me that brought me over to ShipBob. So tell me a little bit about ShipBob. What is it? How would you explain to someone who does not know even where to begin with that? Yeah. So um, with ShipBob to like really simplify it, if again, if I were to really simplify it, it's we're a tech-enabled 3PL, which again means we store and ship your products. And so if you're a direct-to-consumer brand and you want to u- utilize a sh- ShipBob or let's say another 3PL, you would send us your inventory. We would store your inventory. And then as orders come in, we ship it out on your behalf. We are not a carrier. We are not like FedEx or USPS. We partner with them. And so every day they send multiple trucks to our facilities and you know pack that truck to the brim and then take those orders out to deliver to the end consumer. So yeah, I think that covers most of it. Yeah, that's good. So you're kind of like the behind the scenes operation that can help fulfill products and orders for a e-commerce shop. Exactly. And so you know, we we really are pushing the envelope to do a lot more than that. I mean, we we are platform agnostic. We can connect into all the marketplaces. And so we don't really care how you are selling or where you are selling. We just ingest those orders and then we can ship the products to the end consumer. So we're really enabling that entire e-commerce experience, you know, regardless of how you are running or facilitating your business. Got it. And how does ShipBob differentiate itself from other 3PLs? So one of the ways, the most obvious ways is, is our fulfillment network. And so we have 10 facilities, eight in the US, one in Canada, and one in Europe. And why that is important and why we're making a huge bet on the distributed fulfillment model is because then you are closer to the end consumer, which means that you can, you can deliver your packages not only faster, but also much more cost-effectively. And so that's a huge focus area of ours. Another very just, I'd say, obvious item too is the technology. And I'll touch on two items there. One is we, we really are making our bet on controlling that entire stack. And so that goes from the merchant application, which should really be your, you know, your go-to source for all inventory and order management. You don't have to use another tool. You, can, you get all of that within ShipBob. Another is the ShipBob fulfillment engine, which is really the logic of what and where and how to ship all products. And that's what talks to our fulfillment centers. And then it's our warehouse management system or WMS technology which powers all the logic within the fulfillment centers. And so that's from how should we receive your inventory when you send it to us? Where should we store it? Uh, When the order comes in, which person in the fulfillment center should pick it? And what, what box should they put it in? And which label should they print it out? And when should they prioritize that within their day? And so all of that is ship up technology. And the reason why we think that is so important is that's how we can create this unified fulfillment experience for our customers across all of our um, locations. And that way, we can also be as cost-effective and efficient with our time so that we can then pass on those savings to, to our customers. And then another item with the technology as well is that allows us to, again, not just optimize what happens there, but, but share this data more transparently with our customers. For example, we were, we were actually going to turn this into a paid product. We decided because of how much value it drove to our customers, we just decided to open it up. So our analytics dashboard. And so customers can come in and just get 
some pretty robust data and analytics on how their business were performing from like an inventory and fulfillment perspective. Mm -hmm. And so they can even see things like with a click of a button, let's say they're storing all of their product in our Southern California location, but they actually see they're getting quite a few sales in the Northeast. Well, they can click one of our Northeast locations and they can see, okay, this is the cost savings and the reduction in transit speed if I utilize two facilities. And sometimes you're like, well, why wouldn't anybody use two or three or 10 facilities? Well, there are, you know, let's say the things you got you have to think through as a business, which is it might cost a dish incremental money to like ship to multiple facilities, mm-hmm. or you might want to like double up on inventory. And so there are pros and cons of both. But, you know, just that's just one of, you know, many examples of with the click of a button, you can get, you know, r- really dive down into your business and see like where there are some cost savings and time savings opportunities. Well, that seems very good, very helpful. I will point though, would someone know like, okay, now's the time that I should maybe, you know, outsource my fulfillment. Like how big should they be? Or when will they know it's like the right time to maybe bring on a 3PL? Yeah, I think knowing the right time, I think that's the easier one to answer. I get this question all the time. Like, well, is it a hundred orders a month? Is it a thousand? What is it? And it, and it you know, just like most <laughs> answers to things in life is it depends. Yep. Um, I think it's beneficial to pick and pack and ship products for maybe a little bit, maybe even just when you're getting started, because one, you kind of learn the mechanics of it and what goes into it. And like, just even things to optimize yourself. Uh, an example there is sometimes people want this extremely robust, like unboxing experience. And so they'll get these extremely customized boxes. And then they realize, oh, well, it takes them 10 minutes to like fold it all up together every time. Well, that's not efficient for them. And that won't be efficient for the 3PL. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it's actually just extremely important to understand who your customers are. And so as these orders come in, and you can do this after you outsource it as well, but like as the orders come in, like look them up, you know, is it Casey Armstrong? Okay. He lives where? Okay. He has children. He's into certain things. Like who are these people to really understand your customers? And so I'd say the time to like outsource it is when you start getting close to a point where the fulfillment side of the business is eating into your time that can be better spent on sales and marketing and product development. Fulfillment is often like a low leverage use of your time. And there's a reason why people utilize companies like ShipBob and you know you should be spending your time on growing the business. Again, sales and marketing and like product development, probably not picking and packing boxes, which also takes a lot of time. Yeah, that makes sense. And how would I think about you guys versus maybe like Amazon fulfillment? Like what is the difference there? And would I pick you over Amazon? Or like, is it either or, or can I use both? You can use both. And so sometimes we're a replacement, sometimes you would utilize us instead, and sometimes we're a complement. And so with Amazon, it depends on what you're looking for. With us, we often work with e-commerce brands, and I definitely stress brands, people that care about you know, owning that customer relationship and owning that data and having full control over what and how products are getting sent to their customers. With Amazon, which, which really sets like the gold standard in logistics, no question. With them, it's really you ship stuff to their fulfillment centers. Everything goes out in an Amazon box. You get extremely limited data if something goes wrong or if they make changes. Like, for example, they stopped shipping essentials or receiving essentials early on in COVID. And most recently, they are limiting the amount of inventory you can store in their facilities. You know, they, they're the end all be all. And so they make that decision and there's nothing you can do about it. And so you just have to conform your business to like, how they change. Got it. And with us, 
you know, you can include marketing inserts, you can include custom packaging, you get and own all of the data about your customers and about the fulfillment experience. If you want to pick up the phone and talk to somebody, you can. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really weighing what is right for your business. Yeah, that, that makes sense. The one thing I've always kind of struggled with when thinking about 3PLs is the cost aspect, because at one point, I don't remember what I was looking this up for, but I was trying to find a good one here in California, and they all use different metrics. I actually had to build like a matrix in Google Sheets to be like, well, this person is quoting it based off of like, you know, parcels or the big wooden pallets. And then other people are talking about pieces and they all had different ways of talking about it. And I felt like I didn't fully understand what costs to even consider when looking for different 3PLs. So what do you advise if someone's going this route right now and thinking through it? So I'd say before even getting into the pricing equation is understanding like what's important for you. And that should hopefully allow you to like whittle down your options because you probably are going to get a handful of pricing agreements that are difficult to compare apples to apples. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could spend a little bit of time and get it to that point. But, you know, is connecting to certain technologies important? And if so, you can probably cross a bunch of options off your list. Is having a location in a certain region or regions important? Do you want to split your inventory? Is, you know, certain things in from like a a kitting or a, a packing or an unboxing experience important? And if so, again, you can probably whittle some more off. Uh, with us, we really try to simplify it. So you get billed off of like receiving storage and then what we call a total fulfillment cost. So we try to simplify it some. But again, even when you're looking at us versus others, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily always get to this true apples to apples comparison, but you can get pretty close. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Like if someone is doing a lot of other things, like you mentioned, like unboxing or having distributed fulfillment centers, that is probably even more important than just like how much will it cost to ship certain pieces. And so when thinking about the distributed fulfillment centers, how does a reduction in, you know, maybe like shipping days increase, you know, purchase size or cart abandonment? Have you seen any metrics around that where a quicker shipping time, I'm assuming helps with higher purchases, purchase volume? Yeah. So we actually have a couple of case studies that are pretty interesting on our site today. I'll give two examples. We had this one brand and they were utilizing our two-day express program. And so there we split their inventory. And we try to optimize everything or as much as possible to be shipped via ground because we're going to pay ground versus air is night and day. Mm-hmm. And so again, by utilizing this, and that's why distributed fulfillment networks are important is because then you're getting access to a larger footprint of the US. Let's just say in this example, the continental US for ground shipping, because anybody can ship two day in air. That's easy. You can ship it from one facility. It's just going to be very expensive. Anyways, they were able to see slightly over 20% increase in their average order value by showcasing this two-day shipping experience. And I think that's because you know, they were really showing off that Amazon-level experience. Uh, and Amazon had a lot of data on just the additional spend. Granted, you can this isn't necessarily apples to apples, but how much more the Prime members spend versus a non-Prime. Again, if mm-hmm. somebody's using Prime, they might have more maybe they're like in a higher income bracket or they put more emphasis on e-commerce. And then we had another customer, honestly, that saw a 97% increase in average order value once they started showcasing this fast and free two-day shipping. I would not earmark that as like your baseline or your benchmark or target because doubling your average order value is pretty insane. But it does go to show things that people, I think, think about a lot more now than they used to, Mm -hmm. but that shipping and fulfillment experience, both whether it be free 
for two days or free and two days can really move a lot of levers that will also help feed back into your ROI and your marketing. Yep. Yeah, I think a lot of customers in the back of their mind, they know if I don't get this in probably a week, I'm going to forget about it or I won't be as excited about it. I mean, that's at least how I am when I, when I see maybe like seven to 14 days, I'm like, oh, what am I going to be doing in 14 days? I don't even know if I want to wear that t-shirt in 14 days. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also the, something that's really tough to calculate is how does that improve? I mean, you can, you can calculate MP, like your net promoter score or NPS mm-hmm. or your CSAT or customer satisfaction score, you know, if you pull your customers, but how does that maybe in improvements in NPS improve word of mouth or improve customer retention as well. And so something that, mm-hmm. that I think about a lot is people always focus on email marketing or SMS or ads, but what is the number one place where, where do you get a hundred percent open rate with your customers? And that's on the products that you ship them. Everybody's going to open that box. Yep. And so from the speed and the experience and how they receive the package to maybe even the actual package to maybe what's inside the package is extremely important. And so focusing on that, because there's no better channel than word of mouth, but word of mouth is also the toughest to measure and also the toughest to grow. Yeah, I love that, especially the 100% open rate quote. How are you advising brands that you're working with when it comes to creating a delightful unboxing experience? There again, it, it often depends on like, what they're selling. Yeah. But I'd say there it's more on not trying to do things overly complex. I think back to the first website that I, I guess, commissioned to be built. And the poor developer, who's actually the designer as well, must have just wanted to, you know, hang up the phone on me or delete my emails because I just made what should have been so easy, so complicated, where I really just needed a homepage. And then I needed a bunch of other, like, let's call them child pages, Mm -hmm. but they could follow the same design template over and over again. And so essentially, I just needed to build out two different design templates, even if my website was going to be, let's say 50 pages, where I came to him and I was like, I want the homepage to look like this. And I want the blog to look like this. And the about page to look like this. And the services page to look like this. And he's like, we haven't even like got off the ground and you're asking for like 50 things. And so the same thing with that packaging and unboxing experience, which is, Let's say you're shipping in just standard brown boxes today or poly mailers today. Well, how can you make just like an incremental step up? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that brown box, but it has your logo on it. And then maybe make another incremental step forward from there. Because every time you add you know, complexity, it's going to cost more money most likely to create these custom boxes. Yep. Uh, and also your 3PL might charge you for, for kidding fees. And so there's a company that, I'm a customer of Love Every. If you're familiar with them, I know you have little ones. Yep, I've heard of that. And they, their unboxing experience is it's beautiful. Like I know my wife and kids look forward to it like every time it hits the door. What does it look like? Tell me a little bit about it. So from the box, um, and there's another company called KiwiCo that does the same. Yep. You know, it's this, this beautiful box. You open it up. Everything is laid out like in the order that you're going to use it from like the instructions to the toys or the products you're going to use because they're more like educational toys. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like this story or they're like handholding you through this experience. And like, let's just put them at the far end of the spectrum of like this amazing unboxing experience that you're going to like maybe even pull out your phone and like Instagram it or something. Yep. Maybe that's like your future state goal. But if right now you're just throwing things in a brown box, like don't try to do that overnight. And so just try to make it like 
a little bit better and then just progress on that over time. Yeah, that's a really good point. Not just for boxing, but I think business advice in general, sometimes it's easy to want to go like, let's do a thousand things. And then it's like you're frozen and you can't move forward. I'm sure you see a lot behind the scenes and with a lot of new brands probably approaching you and trying you guys out. What kind of trends are you seeing in the fulfillment world? Like, are there new things that have come up since the pandemic that maybe you weren't anticipating before that you guys are kind of pivoting to help out with that maybe you just didn't have customers asking for that prior to COVID? I don't know about trends of things that they're asking for that they weren't prior. I'd say their sense of urgency has increased. Mm -hmm. And we knew that we were going to roll out a few international locations, but the demand for those capabilities and the speed at which customers are trying to close themselves for our business is actually rather welcoming, but it's been pretty fascinating to see that really accelerate over time. Like we rolled out our European and Canadian fulfillment centers this year and people just, you know, kind of been banging down the door to to leverage those because e-commerce demand everywhere has spiked. Um, I'd say another that's been kind of interesting is, you know, while Amazon is still viewed very favorably, you know, let's just say across the US, kind of how people are evaluating Amazon as like their 3PL, depending on their business, again, whether they put all their eggs in the Amazon basket versus like just viewing it as a compliment. I think this has really shed a huge light on the importance of owning your your business and owning your distribution channels as much as possible and, and owning your customer data and owning that supply chain. Like the example I gave earlier, and again, I have so much respect for Amazon. They push our industry forward, not just e-commerce, but logistics as well, is when they can start limiting which products you can ship to them, and when they can start limiting which products that you can store with them, Mm -hmm. which therefore dictates which items you can ship out, which is how you make money. That's a lot of power to to give to a third party. And they're doing it because they need to do what's best for them as a company. And they need to do what's best for all of their third party sellers in aggregate. And no matter how big you are, you're just one of those hundreds of thousands of businesses. And so just making sure that you you plan accordingly. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like the shipping delays that happened with Amazon as well, or when they started prioritizing essential stuff also gave a lot of, you know, D2C companies and people who aren't relying on Amazon a chance because all the people on Amazon who are maybe used to that two-day shipping that started turning to five and seven and two weeks started looking elsewhere and started being open to other ideas other than just like Amazon's my source. I know myself included, I have actually been okay ordering from brands directly because I'm like, ah, this brand's, you know, maybe four days. Amazon might be two to three, not that much of a difference. Whereas before this, I don't know if I would have considered ordering directly from a brand if it was also on Amazon. You're spot on. So that's what's going to be so interesting is COVID hopefully starts to dissipate. And then hopefully it's, you know, in the rearview mirror is the habits that we have formed over the last, you know, four to six months. And which of those stick and people being comfortable with a slightly longer, you know, fulfillment time because they can buy directly from the brand or because whatever fear that they had is then, you know, reduced. And so they'll, they'll trust these other websites more. And then even I know when I was at Big Commerce, like we had a quarter that was super focused on digital wallets. And so as that's evolved, digital wallets, meaning like the PayPal buy button, um, the Amazon one click. Visa and Apple Pay, those also allow people to buy not just on desktop, but also mobile so easily where you don't even need to go and get your wallet. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's just the, the ease of a purchase is just so much easier now versus like on Amazon, they stored everything and it was very easy. But now those digital wallets are also on a lot of these direct-to-consumer sites. Yeah, I think that's so important. It's like uh, we have a fills down the street and I used to always go in and, you know, order, use my credit card and whatnot. And when they started doing only mobile ordering where you could only pick it up at their like outside, instantly I'm all of a sudden ordering like, two fills a week and you know I'm out on my walk with my dog I'm like oh I've got my phone I can order it it's already payments already set up and something I never would have done before and now I'm like why did I ever wait in line what was wrong with me why didn't I get their app to begin with yeah great point it's like this forcing mechanism for us to like try these slightly more innovative products even something like myself has been in e-commerce forever and buying stuff on Amazon I'm sure like you've you know since whenever you got a credit card my wife and I just, we never utilize like Whole Foods delivery or buying groceries on Amazon. Yeah. And then with this and with the little ones, we've just been very diligent on really living the quarantine life. Yep. As fun as that is. <laughs> yeah. And we get multiple Whole Foods deliveries a week now. When before we are like, ah, I'm not sure about how the produce will be. What about getting meat? But it's been great. I mean, the cons are usually get about 85% of the things you put in your cart because they don't have everything. Yes. But they deliver it right to you. And so there's just so many changes, just like your example, the coffee. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder too, if consumers will be like, I think there's going to be two sides of it. One where they're going to have very high expectations for things like they want, you know, to have trust in the brand. They want transparency. They want to see like, you know, what's going on behind the scenes and like, are they socially conscious? But then I also think there's another side of the consumer where they're going to be okay with like good enough. Like with your Whole Foods example, I was the same way. Like, I pick tomatoes out in a certain way or avocados and they just won't know how I pick out my avocado. (laughs) But now I'm like, eh, if like four out of five of the avocados are like good enough, I'm happy with it. So I kind of see like two ends of the spectrum of what this push consumers to be, which would be kind of hard to meet. (laughs) I agree. And that's where, you know, I might be slightly biased and we're pushing ShipBob, you know, to deliver everything within, let's say one to three days. But sometimes a merchant can only store all their inventory in one location. Let's say it's on the East Coast and I know you're in California as am I and we order something. Maybe it takes that four or five days to to get to us. But am I willing to take that slightly longer delivery speed because I know that I'm supporting the entrepreneur that much more? I'll be curious to see how that changes just as we are more conscious about supporting SMBs. And we know that if we buy it directly from their website versus Amazon, or elsewhere that we put more money in their pocket. Uh, you know, I'm very interested to see how that evolves over time. Yeah, no, saying that, that'll be really interesting. So we were just talking about putting more money in the merchant's pocket. How do you advise or what best practices do you see when it comes to setting pricings? Like if I'm implementing a 3PL, like should the retail price of something have like a 50% profit margin or 70? Like how do you advise someone like, to set their prices in a way that makes sense to, you know, make sure that their margins are good and not eaten up by 3PLs and returns and all that. I mean, every business will just be so different. Mm-hmm. But I think what's important that you're getting at is and something that not everybody fully cars off the time to like understand off the top of their head. Like they should have all these numbers off the top of their head. But is like, what are the their true costs of goods sold? How much does it cost for them to receive these products? As they scale over time, is there opportunity to reduce those cogs so that they can improve their margins? And so you start with something like that. And then it's like, 
today and then as they forecast in the future, what are their customer acquisition costs or CAC? And then understanding that because then that tells you how much money you still have left over for, for fulfillment. And so what are your true shipping and your total shipping and fulfillment costs? I think a lot of people focus just on reducing their customer acquisition costs without understanding all the levers that they can pull. And so again, it's just it's knowing your metrics extremely well. And then from there, identifying like which are the biggest numbers and how can you start pulling levers to reduce those or increase those over time. So the other thing I'm thinking about when you're talking about opening up fulfillment centers in Europe, what does a brand need to consider when they are thinking about, you know, using a fulfillment center overseas if they are in a California or New York? Is there anything special that they have to take into consideration before like utilizing a fulfillment center overseas? Yeah. And so we'll we'll keep this relatively succinct because this can be a whole episode. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I guess, are there any regulatory issues with me getting my products into a certain country? For example, I know certain cosmetics, it's actually more difficult to get into Canada and ship from there versus it is to get into Europe. So it's understanding that. And then number two, which will, where you'll spend most of your time is just VAT or value-added tax. And so, you know, what do you have to pay to get your products in? And then how do you need to like include VAT within your pricing? And every single country in Europe has like their own VAT structure. And so you can just spend a lot of time there. Or like what we're working on is allowing people just to think of VAT as in Europe as like one country. And then we do a lot of the heavy lifting on the, let's say, peripheral or outside. Um, And so you really only need to think of like that once versus like that differently for every country. Mm, That's yeah a good thing to consider. So you guys are kind of taking care of that for them in a way. So they don't have to do all the research on the different locales and what to charge and whatnot. Exactly. So an example is, and there are different types of that, but with Watchmaster, for example, like sometimes we would buy watches in the South in like a country like Greece, where I think their VAT is like 22 or 23%. And then we'd sell them in the North. So let's say Germany, where I believe the VAT is 18%. And so there alone, let's say in Greece, it's 23%. And in Germany, it's 18%. That's a 5% Delta. So even if we sold the watch for the same exact price, we'd have 5% margin just because of like the Delta and the VAT. Mm-hmm. And I'm, 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 I'm simplifying this greatly. Yep. But just as an example of like, there's just so much complexity and that's just one product in two different countries. That that makes sense. And then do you guys, I mean, I'm sure things get caught up in customs. Like, do you also help kind of keep track of that? Or is that something that like they need to get it to the warehouse or center in Europe? And then you guys help take care of it from there. So if we're shipping things from the US internationally, that's one thing. So there's duties you can pay in advance. And then there's also unpaid. But then from getting the stuff into the country and into our facility, we will help some there, but it's usually utilizing partners of ours. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, we're not a freight forwarding company. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. So with everything you guys are doing behind the scenes, I wanted to touch a bit on the technology because it just seems like you have a lot going on. And there's, like you said, you guys are tech enabled. Like what kind of technology are you using to make the fulfillment process seamless? Like any AI you're implementing or um, like new leading or cutting edge technologies that you're implementing to make that process work? Yeah, I mean, we do use a lot of machine learning Mm -hmm. and our bet also is building a lot of this stuff ourselves. And so that's utilizing 
from connecting our solution and APIs to third-party solutions to then building all the logic and intelligence internally. And again, that's utilizing a lot of machine learning. And then that's driving the decision-making. But it's really, I'd say the biggest bet with us on the technology is owning the entire stack from what our customers are using to how those orders are being sent to the fulfillment centers and the technology in the fulfillment centers. And so it's not using, you know, let's say like a third-party warehouse management system. Got it. And when you're talking about integrating seamlessly and partners, like what kind of partners are important to have integrated with your 3PL? Or like, who are you guys making sure that you're partnered with to make it a seamless experience? Yeah. So definitely at the top, it's the e-commerce platforms. And then on the output side, it is the carriers. And so it's making sure that we're able to get the best pricing within the right time frame you know, across FedEx and UPS and USPS and DHL and some of the local carriers so that we can make sure that we're making the most cost efficient and time efficient decision, you know, on behalf of our customers. Cool. So the one thing I always love is stories. uh, (laughs) And I'd love to hear any mistakes that merchants have made where they come to you and you're like, we've been doing it this way for 10 years, or like, this is how we do things now. And you're like, oh, that's bad. Like any stories like that, that other people could learn from, like, don't do this. (laughs) One that sticks actually off the top of my head, and this was something I thought about a lot when I decided to make the jump over to ShipBob, was when I was at Big Commerce, we were doing this, this big film series and we were visiting a bunch of our merchants. And I met this one merchant, um, this husband-wife duo, where, and, and I love their story and they're doing really well. And, and certain businesses run, run their way for a certain reason. But I love their story because the wife... She started the business initially by herself. She ran it by herself for a couple of years where she signed up for the two-week trial and she literally hit the launch button from a Starbucks. It's like the American dream version for e-commerce. Yep. You know, all the pictures show that you're like, you're in a coffee shop and today's the day I'm hitting go live website. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And still free. You're on the trial. Yep. And fast forward, you know, however long it had been, like five years from when I'm sitting in their quote unquote office, which is essentially just a mini fulfillment center. And the place was packed to the brim. And so now it was the husband and the wife and they were doing all things sales, all things marketing, all things website development. They were doing everything except for stowing the inventory, picking it, packing it, handling returns, putting the labels on the box, taping up the boxes. They had 18 employees. So 90% of their workforce, including them, were doing fulfillment work. And they were the only people focused on building the community and sales and marketing and product development. Oh, man. And I knew at the time, and this is before, honestly, I even knew about ShipBob, this is not the right mix. Like, and they were actually currently, they were, when I left, they were actually going across the street to negotiate extending their warehousing space so they could move across the street to store even more inventory. And so now you're adding all these fixed costs such as your rent and also fixed costs with all your employees. And so while you can maybe get rid of the employees, if things go bad, you're most likely going to be stuck with the rents. Whereas if you utilize, you know, a third party logistics solution, you're often paying them on performance. And so the more you sell, the more you pay them, the less you sell, the less you pay them. But it's more of this variable rate versus this fixed rate. And so I just was blown away because these people were going to do, you know, over 15 million that year. Wow. 
And it was really just two people doing everything except for fulfillment. Oh my gosh. I blame Shark Tank for that. You know, all the ads they show where they're like, we started in our basement and here we are with our whole family <laughs> packaging everything. Like you show that ad enough, people will be like, that's how you do it. You just keep. I'm, I'm not going to name <laughs> names. We have, we have customers and it's kind of a, unfortunate. We have customers that will, you know, throw up their Instagram stories every week of them picking and packing boxes no. and storing a bunch of stuff in their spare bedroom and all this stuff because it's it's this they're selling the dream to their community and I get it to an extent yeah. but then all of their followers who are trying to do things themselves they're replicating the same they're replicating these false mistakes yeah. when I'm like what yeah yeah that's really good though I mean I think that's an important lesson all around is like there's a certain point when you can do that and then after that you need to be focusing on you know the product and like it can only get you so far when you're doing everything on your own. Completely agree. So what kind of disruptions do you see coming to the world of fulfillment? So some news that just broke the other day that I think will be interesting to watch is a lot of these older retail spaces. A big question is what's going to happen with these malls and with these retailers. And so I think a lot of that also comes down to, I think it was Simon Property, but it was you know these large mall operators and owners, what are they going to do with this space? And Amazon, unsurprisingly, is right in the mix. And so are they going to start leveraging these now vacant or near vacant malls where they can be very close to... Because these malls are often in suburban areas, which are close to a lot of the end consumer. And so can they start leveraging these mall facilities for their last mile operations. And so that would be interesting. It's definitely something that we've looked at. We're definitely building our technology. And so in a way that individual store owners could possibly even utilize it at some point, people could start injecting it into malls. And so I think that's going to be pretty fascinating to watch. And then another thing, less on like the innovative side, just more of like the blocking and tackling stuff is like, with Q4 coming up, how big of a upswing in sales are we going to see? Usually we see, you know, between, let's say, 30 to 50% uptick in, in sales volume with unemployment and everything not in the best space. Are we still going to see that? And if so, these, these brands that are trying to get ahead of the curve and store all their products, you know, Amazon's already said that they're not going to allow unlimited inventory like they had in the past. We've come out and taken the opposite stance where we're not going to restrict because of COVID. Yep. You know, how are a lot of these mom and pop 3PLs that really only have one facility going to be able to do things? And, and, and just how are a lot of people going to be able to conform? And so there, that's just the kind of boring work of, I just need to like literally store my product somewhere and then ship it out. So I think it's be interesting to see how a lot of brands navigate that. Yeah, completely agree. That'll be a good area to watch. All right, so we have a couple minutes left and we do something called a lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I will ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Casey, are you ready? I am ready. What's up next on your reading list? My reading list. Oh man, I've been buying way too many books lately. I actually bought this book. Here, let me, let me grab it. I actually yeah. have it next to me. So I've been trying to get a lot more into finance. Yeah. And so I actually bought Titan by Chernaw and then I bought Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. But the one I'm reading right now is called How Finance Works. Uh-huh. And it's by this Harvard professor that just really kind of uses some humor, but really gets you like hands-on and like breaking down a lot of things from a finance perspective. And so I historically read a ton of fiction, but now I'm reading this. Maybe that's why I'm falling asleep faster at night. <laughs> oh, I will have to check that out. I mean, I love finance, so I will be checking that out. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Oh, man. 
because I have little ones, probably like rescue bots or something. <laughs> yep. I feel you there. Yeah. I think I've exhausted the rest of Netflix. So that's, a, that's all right. Kid stuff. I'm on the same page as you. So there we go. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? Gosh, I've toyed with this idea quite a bit. Oh. I mean, there's a bunch like on the business side, but I think it'd be, I just love sports. And so I'd say probably Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal. There you go. Yeah. And I want to understand like what was the catalyst for him to get very business savvy for an example. Like he, I don't think it was like maybe like his rookie year, but very early on, he never touched a paycheck because he was making so much money from endorsements. But basically all of his MBA salary would go to his bank. And from there, he's just invested and he owns like a ton of like, I think it's like Popeyes and a bunch of like car washes. And he's just very diversified the assets that he owns and like uh, where he makes money. And it's just fascinating to see how he he was just so early in that. And then you see people like James Harden and I think maybe and Steph Curry and others. And I think Kevin Durant recently did buying minor shares in MLS teams. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, the athlete getting more business savvy is just a fascinating concept and would allow me to geek out about sports. And so I know that's not a lightning answer, but it's my long-winded answer. The last one is what app or piece of tech are you using right now that's making you most efficient in life or business? Um, I'd say an app that I have a love-hate relationship with, like most people would be Twitter. Yeah. Because sometimes I'm like, is this just an absolute waste of my time? But the more I, I don't necessarily tweet like too often, but using it as something I've actually been doing a lot more over email too, is just cold, cold email, cold outreach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The connections you can make with people just in like direct messages, it's fascinating. And then as you evolve those relationships over time, like there's no way to even put an ROI on that hmm. and just opening the doors and like different business opportunities and partnerships and stuff is, is just been fascinating and it's free. It's insane. I love that. And so anyways, I would, uh, I'd say for now, it's Twitter. I need to try more of that. DMs make me nervous. I'm like, well, I don't know if I should do it. I should just go for it. Start DMing everyone. <laughs> you should. I mean, worst case, they don't reply. And that's where you were in the first place. Yeah. So. so true. All right, Casey. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find out more about you and ShipBob? Yeah, ShipBob.com. Come check us out. As I mentioned, I'm on Twitter, KCA. But um, come hit us up over at ShipBob. Let us know how we can help. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.